You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. I'm excited. Uh, this is the eighth lesson of our our series on John, and I'm actually going to finish up First John tonight, and then next week, uh, the next two weeks, we're going to dive into Second and Third John. So I'm excited about uh, finish, finishing this up tonight. If you will turn with me to First John chapter five, we're going to be talking about some really amazing things here tonight. That's really key to our faith, really key to what we believe about the Lord. Uh, but one thing I want to cautious caution us on who have been raised in church or who have been in a uh, religious background setting for a while is it, it's real easy to come in and start hearing things and then go, oh, I know that, and then check out. Or come in and, and, and then we, we become bored uh, because we've heard this before or I've read First John or I, I know that about my faith, but uh, we, we always need to come in with an attitude of there's always more revelation. This, this word is sharp and it is, it is active and it always wants to reveal, God always wants to reveal more to us through it. He always, he always wants to cut us deep whenever we read this. And I believe that wherever, whenever the word of God is read that Christians should celebrate. And I believe that even as you hear things tonight that you think like, oh, I know that, it's still truth and it's still amazing, and it's still really good, and so you can, you know, you can amen, you can say something, like, it doesn't have to be like this new, incredible, like, revelation, or like, Josh has got to have this amazing one-liner for me to say amen to, no, like, if we say that God is good, or that, like, you know, Jesus Christ saved me from myself, like, that's good, and that's something worth applauding, that's something worth saying amen about, and, you know, maybe you didn't, you didn't grow up in a church where they amen a lot, but it's okay here, you know, we're a little more charismatic here so we can be a little more vocal as the word is going forth. So if, if, if something is said that you're like, you know, I agree with that, maybe it's not necessarily hitting me on a heart level. Maybe I've heard that a thousand times, but you can still say that's good or, or amen or just, I, I just want to encourage us to stay plugged into what God is doing in this room tonight as we get into this word because it, all, it is always good and it can always be fresh. God is not boring. The word of God is not boring. We can be boring, but he is not. And so let's engage here tonight as we finish this out, because I want to talk about some really incredible things here tonight that is found in this last part. So John chapter five, as he closes it up, and really just a central theme in John is certainty. Like he wants to give us some assurance on some things. He actually uses the words we know 39 times in the entire book. And he actually, he says it eight times. And what we're going to look at just these last few words here. So he wants us to be certain about a few things when it comes to our faith. He wants us to know some things without a doubt. And I think we have a desire for certainty in life. I think we have a desire to for sure know some things that we can have some confidence on. And so in these closing verses, we're actually going to find five certainties. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to say them real quick here, but, but don't worry if you miss them because I'm going to explain each one. I'm going to, I'm going to walk, walk us through each one tonight, but we're going to look at five certainties that we can build our lives on as believers with confidence. And we're going to talk about these five tonight. Number one, that Jesus is God. And that is good news. (laughs) Jesus is God. Number two, believers have eternal life. Number three, God answers prayer. Number four, Christians do not practice sin. And number five, the Christian life is the true life. I want to look at these tonight. Last week we finished on verse five. Let's pick up in verse six tonight. Let's read verses six through 10 to start tonight. 
It says, and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood and the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe, since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who do not believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. So the first thing that John is trying to teach us here that we can believe for certain is that Jesus is God, that he is God. You know, for someone to say that they, that they believe that Jesus was real, that he was alive, that he walked this earth, isn't a big deal. What is a big deal is in what changes our face is that we believe that he is the son of God, therefore that he is God. That is, that is the big deal. That's what changes uh, changed it for us in Christianity. Now, how do, and John shows us here how we can know for certain that he is God. You know, some people called him a madman, a fanatic, a lunatic, a liar. You know, in Matthew 27, the Pharisees come to Pilate and they call him the deceiver is what they tell Pilate that he is. Uh, you know, some people believe that he was a good man. Some people believe that he was a prophet. Some people believe that he was some kind of guru all of those are incomplete. What he was, was the son of God. What he was, was Lord. What he was, was the Messiah. And some false teachers at this time were even trying to say, well, he was man for part of the time and he was God for part of the time. But what John is showing us tonight is he was all man and he was all God from the moment he was conceived till the moment he rose again. He was, and still he is all man and all God. And he is sitting at the right hand of the father right now with a name above every other name. And he is actually praying for you and I tonight. Amen. He is, it is so good. He is God. What John does here is he refutes false teachings about Jesus. And in verse eight, he presents to us three infallible witnesses to prove that Jesus is God. The first one he says is water. The water of his baptism proves to us he is God. Well, how is that so? Matthew 3, you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 3, 13 through 17 is where Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River by John. When he comes up out of the water, a light shines down on Jesus and a voice speaks. The father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And it says the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and lands on Jesus. That is our first testimony right there that he is God, that he, by the baptism, by the water baptism, we know that he is the Lord. And Jesus didn't even start his ministry until he was baptized. He didn't do any ministry until he, that, that launched him into doing what God had actually sent, sent him to do. But when he was baptized, God, the father publicly declared over him that this is my son. So the water of baptism is the first first witness to us. The next that John says is his blood. So his blood is the next witness that he is the son of God. In Matthew chapter 26, verses, uh, verses 27 and 28, Jesus gives the cup of wine he, to the disciples. He gives thanks to God for it. He gives it to them and he says, each of you drink from this for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So the blood is the next thing that testifies that he is the son of God. His death, the blood of the cross is our next witness. 
First John 1 7 says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So his blood, and listen, the water and the blood, they're two key things because the water was about his life, the blood was about his death. And they're both two key things that testify to us that Jesus is who he said he is, that Jesus is the son of God. The ba- it's key here. You got to see the baptism and the cross were two key parts of his ministry. And so the water and the blood both testify to us that he is the Lord. And you know, I think it's so interesting that when the soldier came and pierced his side, what came out? The water and the blood. So both are divine witnesses that he is the Lord. He is the Lord. And those, and if those two weren't enough, we have the third one, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies to us that he is the son of God. And John 14, verse 17, this is Jesus talking. He says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him. See, John is talking to believers here when he talks about the spirit testifying because Jesus says, you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. We are in the later where the spirit lives in us. And that is amazing. That's incredible that we would become the temple of God, that Christ would come and dwell in us and become the hope of glory. That is incredible news. In John 15, 26, Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, I will send the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify about me. He will come to you and he will testify about me. And then in 16, verses 13 and 14, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak of his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So even in these scriptures here, if it's not like, if it's not like the main job of the Holy Spirit, it's one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit, that he is testifies to us that Jesus is the son of God. That's one of the Holy Spirit's main jobs living inside of you is testifying to you that Jesus is the son of God. And that is good news. That is incredible. And actually, if you go read Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight is so good. I could read Romans eight every day, like 10 times a day for the rest of my life. It's so good. But Romans chapter eight talks about how my spirit communes with the Holy Spirit, Abba Father. That the Holy Spirit tells me that God is my father. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he confirms in us that Jesus is the son of God. So all three of these things, the water, the blood, and the spirit, John is saying, are our witnesses. What is amazing about these witnesses is they're not witnesses of man. They're divine. These are all witnesses from the Lord. And why does he choose three here? Because in the Old Testament and Deuteronomy, actually, I've got the verse here, 19, 15, and 17, 6, talk about that they had to have at least two, sometimes three witnesses to convict someone. Like, like three people had to testify. If there was a murder, there had to be more than one eyewitness testify against somebody. And that's human testimony. How much greater of a testimony do we have? We have a three-part testimony that's all divine telling us that Jesus is God. And that's such, such good news. Um, and then I, I love in verse 10, all who believe in the Son of God and in their hearts that this testimony is true. You know, we don't, I think it's key for believers to understand that we just don't believe him, but we believe in him. 
We don't just believe him, we believe in him. So believing, it's more than just taking him at his word. It's more than just taking Jesus at his word. It's believing in him. Believing in him means that we commit our whole life to him. That we so believe him that we lay down everything to him and that he becomes our Lord and that we follow him all the days of our life. That's what believing in him. And so it's not just trusting in his spoken word, but trusting our entire selves to him and turning our whole lives over over to him. All right, and because of this amazing thing, that leads us to the next certainty is that believers have eternal life. Let's read verses 11 through 13. It says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. See, that's why we believe in him because the life is in his son and therefore we receive that eternal life. Verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, this eternal life is a gift. There's nothing that we could do to earn it. And it is certain. It is a certain gift that we receive. (coughs) John 10, verses 27 to 29, Jesus is talking and he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Is that good news? Nothing can take you from God. Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So he says right here, you're mine and nobody can take you from me. Verse 29, for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. And then Ephesians 2, 8, 9, very familiar passage to most of us. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. Our eternal life is a gift given to us when we believe in him. There's nothing that we could have ever done to gain eternal life except by believing in him. We receive eternal life from Christ and in Christ. It is received by faith. So because we believe in him, we have received eternal life from him. We can actually, we can have assurance of salvation. I think one of the, I think a big goal of the enemy is try to make us think that we have to get saved over and over and over again. Like when I was growing up, I probably like said the salvation prayer like 15 times because I was afraid that if I got in a car wreck on the way home, I would go to hell because, because a lot of times I didn't hear like nobody can take you from him. Nothing can snatch you from him. Like we can have assurance that we are saved. What is the assurance that we are saved? How can I know that I'm a believer? How can I know? How can I be sure? And I love actually in First John, there's, there's several places and you don't, we're not gonna flip through all of them, but I, I, I just went through and wrote them down here. Uh, there, there are birthmarks of a believer. There is things that mark you if you are a true believer. Um, the first one, <clears throat> First John two twenty nine, is that you are righteous. And it's not your righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ. And because we have the righteousness of Christ, verse 3, 9, we don't sin. Not that we don't mess up, but we don't practice sinning. It's not a lifestyle. Verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 says that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is an affirmation that you are a believer. 
And then five verse four, uh, chapter five, verse four says that we keep his commandments and therefore we have a victorious life. So if we are being obedient to the commandments of God, we are a believer. Like we have that assurance whenever we obey him. And listen, I'm not saying that you're gonna be perfect, but there are some things that mark the life of a believer where you don't have to worry about if I'm saved or if I'm not saved. Again, it's not just believing him, but it's believing in him. It's a gift, it's not earned. You never have, I I love that we don't have to worry about earning it, that it's already ours and that it's certain. And I wanna say this to you tonight um, and I'll get into more of this in, in the fifth point, but I want you to know that eternal life is so much more than living forever. Eternal life is so much more than living forever. I want you to know that eternal life starts at salvation. It doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts at salvation. It's so much more because, man, like, you know, living forever could actually, could actually seem like a bad thing. It could actually seem like a curse to some people. Like, good Lord, I have to deal with this forever, right? But what he's talking about is like, we, so here it is. God is eternal. He is, he is the one that is eternal. And we have eternal life because we have his life in us. And so when we have his life in us, we have his peace and we have his power and we have his love. We have all of that in us. We have eternal life right now. Our eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts now. Why? Because we share our lives with Jesus now. Now, the, uh, there's a, back in, in uh, chapter four, uh, verse 17, it says that just as Jesus is now, so are we in this world. Wow, that's a powerful statement. Just as he is now, so are we in this world that we have his life now. So we have his peace, his love, his holiness, his power. And you know, this eternal life, this is what frees us from the tyranny of death. I'm never gonna die. I'm never gonna die. Will my physical body die? Sure, but my spirit's gonna live on forever and then one day I'm gonna have a new physical body. But I I am not afraid of death because even if this body dies, I still live forever. And I am certain about it. I will still live forever. We don't have to fear death because honestly, we're never gonna experience real death. This physical body may die, but my spirit, the part of me that is more alive than the rest of me, will live forever. <clears throat> that's good news to me. I, I think that's incredible. Eternal life is the life of God and it can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, moving on. The next thing that John wants us to be certain of is number three, that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Let's read verses 14 and 15. It says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know he will give us what we ask for. He will give us what we ask for. Okay, so, um, you know, I love that, that, just that first part of verse 14. We are confident that he hears us. How amazing is it that we have a God that hears us? That we're not just talking to some idol. We're not just talking to some far off deity, but we're talking to someone who hears us. 
You have a God, the creator of the universe, that could be off doing a million other things, and he is doing a million other things, but he could be doing a million, and he cares about little old you. He cares about me, that he hears my prayers. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Don't ever take that for granted that you have a God who hears you. You have a God who hears you. That is an amazing thing that we have a God who hears us when we talk to him. Okay, now then he goes into though, whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. So it's about asking what pleases him in order to to actually see it answered. So it can't just be about what pleases us, but it's about what pleases him. And you know, there's, and because of that, there's some conditions to answered prayer. He's got some conditions to answer prayer. I, I wrote a few down here. Okay, uh, Psalm 66 verse 18 says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the, the Lord would not have listened. Whoa. Yeah. And so he wants us to confess our sin to him before he actually will listen to us. Now, and listen, not, not because he's like, like mad and angry and trying to hold himself back for us. He wants us to get, at, get anything out of the way that is interfering with his love and relationship with us. So he wants us to confess those things and ask for forgiveness and move on so that we can have more of him. And honestly, if your heart is clouded with sin, what makes us think that we're actually going to pray things that line up with his will anyway? <coughs> First Peter 3, 7, this, it tells us that we're supposed to honor our spouse. Specifically, he's talking to husbands that you're supposed to honor your wife or your prayers will be hindered. Whoa. Like that's intense. Like if you, God's basically saying like, bro, if you don't treat her right, I'm not going to listen to you. And so like honor your spouse. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 through 25 talks about that we're supposed to forgive others, that even if we come in to worship the Lord and we remember that we have something between us and a brother in Christ, leave the sacrifice and go and make things right. So we have to, we got to be right between each other. We have to forgive one another. And John, John 15, seven says that we have to remain in him so that he, so that we will really know him and know what we're supposed to pray. And then first John three twenty two we've talked about that, that it's obedience to him. And we actually, by remaining in him, then we actually begin to obey him. It actually makes it a lot easier. If you remain, then you'll obey. And if you'll obey, then you'll remain. I think I talked about that last time. When we were, and here's the deal, what he says in, in John 15, Jesus says, when you remain in him, his words remain in us. Why is that key? When we remain in him, his words remain in us. When we remain, when we abide, when we're in that close fellowship, when we have a prayer life, it says, my words will be in you. And when his words are in you, guess what you pray? His words, not yours. When you remain in him, your will begins to line up with his will. And so then you begin to pray about the things that actually please him. We've got to understand, God's not our genie. He's not our genie. He's not here to grant, he's not here to grant our wishes. He, like, he gives us what is for his namesake, not ours. <coughs> so when we pray, is it for him or is it for you? Is it for his glory and his will and his plan or is it for you? Be, you know, I hear a lot of people quote Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a great verse. For, but it says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Not your plan sponsored by me. Right? I think many times we come up with our own plan and our own agenda and our own purpose for life and then we ask God to bless it. 
Whoa, 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 God, what is your plan for my life? What is your plan? And show me how to get in it. <laughs> what is your will? How do I get my life in your will? Not like what I want to do sponsored by him. It's about, it's about him. We've got to pray what he wants. I think praying oftentimes, and even Jesus prayed this. Jesus, who is God, we just looked at that. He says, not my will, but yours be done, Father. Not my, and can that be our prayer every day when we wake up? God, not my will. Not the will of Josh Barnett today, Lord. Your will be done today. Help me achieve your will today, God. I don't, it's not Josh's kingdom come, it's your kingdom come. How do I build your kingdom today, Lord? I want to do what you have called me to do today. I think many times prayer is not so much asking God for what we want, but asking God for what he wants. So maybe prayer is actually more about listening than speaking. I love this quote. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of God's willingness. How do we lay hold of his willingness? Well, we have to know what his will is. And prayer actually will line up your will with his. If you'll just get close to him, you'll begin praying the things that he wants to see. You'll begin declaring the things that he wants to see. Prayer actually keeps a Christian in the will of God. It's actually, if you have a great prayer life, if you have a, a great relationship with the Lord where you're constantly, you know, you enter in that, um, that, that, that phase where Paul says, pray without ceasing. And that actually like, it's a lifestyle of prayer. It's not that you just pray on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, or you pray with your Bible study group or your home group or what, or, or you pray in your, in your 15 minute Devo, but it's like that you remain and all those things are great, but you actually get to where you pray without ceasing, where you are praying all the time, where you are in constant communication with the Lord, where you are fixed on one thing, you are fixed on him everywhere that you go. And it's constantly about him and not about you. If you, it, it's really hard to get off track there. It's really hard to let your life fall off track when you are constantly going after him and his, in your relationship with him because the Holy Spirit will keep you on track. He is the convictor of righteousness. He tells us what to do and he keeps us in that. And he keeps us in that. And, I, and listen, I found that the more that you remain in him, the more that you abide in him, the more that you like want to just obey him. You want, there becomes a want to. Sometimes there's, sometimes it's tough, but you actually get to a place where like, God, I want to do what you're telling me to do. Even if it's hard, even if it doesn't make sense, God, I want, you get it to this place where you want, you have a desire to please him with your life. And I think that really leads us to number four. Number four, the certainty that John gives us is that Christians don't practice sin. Don't practice sin. And this isn't like a pop, this isn't like the popular part of the message. Right? This is like we want to hear that we can do whatever we want and get away with it. But that's not what John says. <clears throat> that's not what the Holy Spirit is telling us through his word right here. Let's read verses 16 through verse 19. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. And God will give that person life. But there's a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin. But not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are the children of God, and that the world around us is under control of the evil one. <coughs> okay, so 
he says it very clearly in verse 18. We know that God's children don't make a practice of sinning. That's a certainty. And, and listen, I'm not talking about missing it every now and then. I'm, just ta- I'm talking about a, a lifestyle of sin we, that we don't, we don't habitually sin. He says the same thing in, in chapter three, verse nine. We looked at it earlier. And so if God is repeating the same message in the same letter, it's probably important. It's probably important. So we need to take note of it. And we've got to understand it. We don't, we aren't supposed to practice sin because we have a new nature. We have a new nature. We are supposed to have new desires and new interest. <laughs> there, listen, there, there are three enemies. There are three things that are trying to get us to sin. Number one is our old man, our flesh, right? Flesh wants to do what it wants to do sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it it shows its gnarly face. And what do you do when it shows its gnarly face? You nail it to the cross. You nail it to the cross and you tell it to stay dead. (laughs) And you focus on, you focus on what God is calling you to do. The, The world is trying to get us to sin. The world, the culture, the atmosphere around us is trying to get us to sin. And then Satan Satan tries to, he puts thoughts in our heads. He's deceiving us. He's trying to tempt us and trying to get us to sin. So the, there's three part, there's three things here that are trying to get us to sin. And we have to understand like we have power over that. We, we don't have to sin. We don't have to. We don't, we don't, we have power over sin. I actually heard this really amazing quote today. <laughs> the proof that we have power over sin is temptation. Because temptation is sin asking for permission. And so you have the authority to say no to it. Paul says in Romans 6 that we used to be slaves to sin, but we're not slaves to sin anymore. We used to have to obey our sinful nature, nature, but we don't anymore. When temptation comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace, we can say no. We can say no. You know what the easiest way, how the easiest way to say no is? Is say yes to God. Say yes to him. When temptation comes, run to him. It's a, in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. it says that God will always give us a way out. Do you know what the way out is? Him. He is the way out. Run to him so that you can overcome sin. <clears throat> so we overcome these three things by focusing on the things of the spirit. Actually, Romans 8 talks about this a lot. Romans 8, 5 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled about the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. Think about things that please the spirit. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, think on these things. Think on these things. So it's not so much that you're just like trying not to sin. It's that you focus on him. You think on these things, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think on this. Focus on this because if you're constantly just trying not to mess up, trying not to blow it, like, you know, I use this example with my young people all the time. If I say, don't think about an elephant, what do you think about? Don't think about a dog. And I think a lot of people try, they just try to, they try to like not sin. But the key to not sinning is to focus on Jesus. That is actually, the, that's the key. How do we keep from sinning? Uh, verse uh, 18, God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them because when you go to him, he holds you and the evil one can't touch you by remaining in him and focusing on him is how we overcome it. Verse 
Okay, let's wrap this up here. <coughs> I want to look at um, verse 16 here. It, it's, uh, verse 16 and it's a little confusing. It, it kind of seems kind of odd because it, it's, if you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death, you should pray. And God will give that person light. But there's a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who, could, who commit it, which is you know, kind of confusing. And this is a verse that is like heavily debated in the New Testament. Um, I think the most important thing that John is trying to get across here is if you know a believer that's in sin, pray for them. That's the most important part of this. Because if you pray for them, it says God will give them life. So if you know someone who believes that Jesus is the son of God, it says if you pray for them, God will give them life. He will pull them out of it. And so I think that's the most, like we're supposed to intercede for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you know, uh, Peter came to Jesus one time and, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan has asked to sift you. And then Jesus says, but I prayed for you. How amazing is that? But I prayed for you. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? Praying for us. We have someone who is interceding for us. We should intercede for our brothers and sisters as well. <clears throat> and so you've got to, but then he talks about, you've got a sin that doesn't lead to death. Pray for them. A sin that leads to death. And then he says, I'm not saying you should pray for them. What? Like, why? Why? Just tell me what to do, John. It's like, do you want me to pray for them or do you not want me to pray? He's like, I'm, I'm not saying that you should pray for them. And so it's kind of weird. And I'm thinking, what sin leads to death and what doesn't? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to commit a sin that leads to death. And honestly, if you're worried about it, it's probably not going to happen. So you're not going to commit the sin that leads to death. <coughs> but what we can know for sure is that the sin that leads to death is a certain kind of sin. There's a kind of sin that doesn't lead to death and a kind that does. Um, the one that leads to death is be- it really is believed to be this. It's a profession against Jesus being the son of God. Where, there, where it's a person who is fully convinced that Jesus is not God. Uh, so, and some theologians would debate and say that, that that also meaning what Jesus was talking about, the unforgivable sin, blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And so this is someone that is so hard and twisted and, and they've lived, you know, maybe they were following the Lord and they, they, they started living a lifestyle of sin and they just got farther and farther and farther and farther and farther and farther away. So they, they, they became an apostate where they completely and absolutely turned away and they're just not whatever. And I think what John is saying here, like focus on the ones who are, who, who, who are having trouble, but do believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I don't think he, he's not forbidding prayer for those who have just completely turned their backs on the Lord and, and don't believe in him at all. He's not saying that. He's just saying, he's just encouraging us more to pray for our brothers and sisters who are here, who are trying to overcome sin. Does that make sense? And, and you know, like, it, and it, you know, it's up for debate. It's not, it's not like 100% like everybody's like, this is exactly what John was talking about. And so if you disagree with me, that's fine. It's, it's, it's really not a big deal. It's not like a life or death thing here. <coughs> um, I think the context of this verse is actually found in verse 12 where it says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. And I think the sin that leads to death, and I think what John is really talking about here is an eternal death. And I think that is not believing, not having or believing that Jesus is the, the son of God. So um, either way, it, whatever you believe about this, it's going to take a supernatural work to bring them back. It's going to take the Holy Spirit breaking their heart and bringing them back. 
Um, and so what John is saying, rather pray and intercede for the believer who the one who, who still calls on Jesus, who is in sin. So that's a tough verse, kind of a hard one there. Um, but, but that's kind of my take on it and the research I've done on it and kind of what, 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 I, what I believe about it. Here's, here's one thing that I, that I absolutely 100% do, do believe is that no one is ever too far gone. That Jesus can break the hardest of hearts. I, th- I believe that he can break the hardest of hearts and the Holy Spirit can call anybody home. But you know what the other amazing thing is? Is I'm not Jesus and I'm not the Holy Spirit. And so it's not, it's not my job to see the world saved. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And I'm gonna partake in whatever he has for me in that. And I'm gonna burn brightly in front of all men. And I'm gonna do and say what he's called me to do. But ultimately, only the Holy Spirit can convict the heart. Amen? Okay, Last point, number five. Ooh, I got two minutes. Let's roll. Last point, number five. The Christian life, this is what we can be certain of. The Christian life is true life. Last two verses here, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, I love that he just stops the whole letter with this verse right here. Dear children, Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Signing off. (laughs) That's basically what he says there. (coughs) Christian life is a true life because we know Jesus who is true and we are in him who is true. And when I say true, I mean real, (coughs) true, abundant life. We get to live in the reality, the certainty of truth. Jesus is truth. Yet Christian, Christian people who are living true lives, these are real people who are the same all the time. They're, same at, they're the same at church as they are on Friday night. They are real believers who are walking this out all the time. You know, as Christians, we don't simply choose between good and bad. We choose between true and false, real and fake, heaven and hell, life and death. And to the worldly man, the life of a Christian man, the true life shouldn't make sense because a worldly man lives by what he sees and feels while a Christian man lives by spirit and truth. And John ends with a warning to be on guard against anything that could take the place of God in our hearts. He's saying, watch out for idols. Watch out for these temporal things that we so easily run to for satisfaction and fulfillment because they won't bring us true life like God does. (coughs) How do we live free from sin? Keep yourself from idols. Don't let anything take the place of God. You know, an idol is anything that takes first place in a person's life. It's anything that a person puts before God. And so it's not like this little, I mean, I guess it could be like a little idol that you bow down to in your your room. That would be weird. But um, it's anything that a person puts before God. So anything that consumes a person's focus, anything that consumes our concentration. And so you can make a list to go on forever. Like it could be your, your job can become an idol. Your car can become an idol. Your house, sports, a relationship, a position, fame, a phone can be an idol. I think a phone is a big idol in our culture right now. A TV, Netflix can be an idol. A hobby, playing golf can be an idol. If it's, if it's taken the first place in our life and God isn't, getting, God isn't in the true place and he's not getting the time and, and, and the love that he deserves. And so John's clo- closing is all about setting God first place. And if we set God first place, everything will fall into place. If we set God first place, we will do the thing, the main points that John talks about. We, will, we, we won't sin, we will love each other, and we will love him. If we set God first, we will do those three things. First John's done. I want to encourage you. Just because we finished First John, keep reading it. 
Read it over and over and over again. It's a short book, five chapters, but it is so good. There's so much good stuff in here. Just because you finish a study on one book of the Bible, go back and read it over and over and over and over again. There's still so much more in here. And so next week, we'll venture into 2 John, which is a lot shorter than 1 John. Y'all stand with me. Let's pray tonight. (coughs) And I did all that without coughing a whole lot. God is good. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for your son. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We owe it all to you, Lord. Teach us how to abide in you. Teach us how to remain in you. Teach us how to love you more, Lord. Lord, you know, if there's anything in our life, God, that we've placed before you, Lord, I ask right now that you would show it to us. Let us have that heart of David that says, search my heart, Oh, Lord, if there's anything that we've placed above you, God, let us knock it down into the right order and put you back on the throne of our hearts. God, we love you so much, Lord. Teach us how to love our brothers and sisters around us. Teach us how to burn bright for you, God. Your light is the life of men. And let, our li- let your light fill us, God, that we might walk in your true, abundant resurrection life for the rest of this week, God, for the rest of our lives, Lord. We worship you tonight. God, we honor you. We ask that you would have your hand on us and go before us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.